Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. One of several key themes that are woven together in Audre Lorde's address, The Uses of Anger, is that of racism and anger as a legitimate response to racism. And indeed, we can broaden it as she does in the work to discrimination more generally. She's going to talk not only about racism, but also about sexism and discrimination against other groups in including the poor at one point. And we should begin with looking at how she characterizes racism. She's not attempting to provide some sort of blanket definition that covers every single case, but to at least identify it in a way that can be useful for what she is doing in this piece, the kind of analysis she's engaged in. So she begins by saying racism, the belief in the inherent superiority of one race over all others and thereby the right to dominance manifest and implied. So let's look at the first part. Somebody might quibble and say, well, then you can't be a racist if there's like a hierarchy and you're not at the very top of it. Well, no, as a matter of fact, you could be a racist and just not see your race as the one that needs to be privileged above all others. But so long as there's some sort of hierarchy of races, there is going to be racism, particularly when the hierarchy has to do with all sorts of characteristics that are being imputed to people of various groups that we call races. And, you know, here we could also go into a long discussion about is race something real? Sociologically, it certainly is. And in the America that she is writing in, and I would say in the America of today, this is something that we see quite often reflected in a number of different experiences, structural inequalities, and we could go on and on and on. What we really want to think about are the key dimensions of what it is that she is saying she has anger over. So belief in the inherent superiority of one race over another, that's something cognitive. That's something that people think. And then, you know, along with that, a right to dominance. To Dominance doesn't necessarily mean bossing people around. It could also be hoarding resources or enjoying opportunities as if it's, you know, an unquestioned privilege that other people don't enjoy, like, you know, getting interviews for jobs. And it could be manifest, meaning that it's out there and we see it, or just implied. It's something implicit, part of the way things are held to work. And then she talks about three really important dimensions of this. Attitudes, ways in which people display this belief, right? How they act upon it, how they treat other people, outright actions. You know, she mentions, for example, one extreme action, a lynching of a pregnant woman. But 
There could be all sorts of other actions as well, or failures to act. For example, holding a conference on racism and then not providing resources for those who can't afford to go to the conference to actually get there and waiving their conference fees so that they can present or participate. And then presumptions. Presumptions is also something you could say that is cognitive assumptions about things, judgments that we make and that might be, you know, above board, might be quite open or might be just implicit. And so this isn't the totality of racism, but it's a good starting point. And Lord is going to be writing to her fellow women and specifically feminists. It's sort of like Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail, which is an open letter, but is addressed specifically to those who he would like to be making common cause with his fellow clergymen. She is is writing to her fellow women who are supposed to be feminists organized against another kind of ism, sexism, treating women differently than men, or if we want to expand it to include the entire LGBTQ spectrum, right? That could be part of it. There's also, she, she brings up issues of poverty, which can be something there. And one of the key things that she's trying to say here is, yeah, racism exists. Racism is a significant part of our society. It's not going to be rooted out right away. It should provoke anger on the part of those who suffer from it or even those who witness it and are of good faith, right? And recognize it. Feminists are organized against sexism and against misogyny, but they can also within their overarching community uh, exhibit forms of racism. And, you know, we could also talk about classism or other things as well. Just being against one kind of discrimination or injustice does not automatically make you attuned to others. And she's saying that this is a significant problem within the feminist community. And she gives a lot of examples. I'll just bring up one of these. The Women's Studies Program of a Southern University invites a black woman to read following a week long forum on black and white women. What has this week given you, I ask? The most vocal white woman says, I think I've gotten a lot. I feel black women really understand me a lot better now. They have a better idea of where I'm coming from. As if understanding her lay at the core of the racist problem, Audre Lorde observes. And I think you can see the, the sort of entitlement there. So, you know, she thinks that there can be racism directed by white women against black women. And she calls that out in a number of ways. And this can even be exhibited in the responses to the anger that somebody like Audre Lorde will let out and act upon and advocate. That anger makes white women feel fearful or guilty or angry themselves or as if this shouldn't be part of what's going on. And Lord, to her credit, a little bit after that, says that this isn't just a black-white thing and who's least powerful or something like that. Everybody has to take responsibility for themselves. And she talks about the possibility of ignoring other women of color. She says, when I speak of women of color, I do not only mean black women, the woman of color who is not black and who charges me 
with rendering her invisible by assuming that her struggles with racism are identical with my own has something to tell me that I had better learn from, lest we both waste ourselves fighting the truths between us. If I participate, knowingly or otherwise, in my sister's oppression and she calls me on it, to answer her anger with my own only blankets the substance of our exchange with reaction. It wastes energy. And yes, it is very difficult to stand still and listen to another woman's voice delineate an agony I do not share or one to which I myself have contributed. And so, you know, Lord is saying it, this isn't something easy for people to deal with, to, to hear others saying, hey, you have hurt me. You have humiliated me. You are doing things against me when you don't realize that you're doing that can be very difficult. And so if there was a suddenly a, a new class of people, we'll call them greens, you know, maybe modeled after the hulks, that would be an issue as well. So merely organizing against one kind of discrimination doesn't automatically mean that across the board, you're an ally or helping out or in solidarity, you could in fact be perpetuating the problem. She also talks about what we can identify. She doesn't use this word, but we can identify as sort of a dynamic of displacement. She says, I've seen situations where white women hear a racist remark, resent what has been said, become filled with fury, but remain silent because they're afraid. That unexpressed anger lies within them like an undetonated device, usually to be hurled at the first woman of color who talks about racism. So people who are not within, you could call it the privileged class that gets to do what they want and have to suffer indignities. When they see major injustices being talked about, they kind of stuff it down because they themselves are afraid. And then when they're dealing with somebody else who is more vulnerable, vulnerable and probably closer to the heart of the you know, racist dynamic, then they let that anger go on the wrong target, not directed against those who perpetuate or act upon or advocate racism, but rather against those who are rightly criticizing it. So Lord thinks that anger is in fact a proper response to racism. At the very beginning, after delineating what she means by racism, she says, women respond to racism. So there's a variety of possible responses. My response, she goes on, is anger. I have lived with that anger, ignoring it, feeding upon it, learning to use it before I laid my visions to waste for most of my life. Once I did it in silence, afraid of the weight, my fear of anger taught me nothing. And then she says, I'm you know, eventually able to express my anger. And she says, my anger is a response to racist attitudes and to the actions and presumptions that arise out of those attitudes. If you're dealing with other women, reflect those attitudes, then my anger and your attendant fears are spotlights that can be used for growth. This, this goes to the uses of anger that she's uh, using in the title. Right? So Lord views anger as a legitimate response to racism. And we might pause here for a moment and think about that. Well, why would that be a legitimate response? Is anger a legitimate response to other 
injustices. I think many of us would say that it is, unless we've been told that anger is automatically bad or wrong. And you notice that, you know, who does she talk about as those who are not supposed to express anger? Women and other people in vulnerable positions. Lord is saying, no, anger is actually an appropriate response to racist attitudes. And she'll go on and add to this. She tells us that it's a appropriate reaction, not just a response, but a reaction. And then she goes a little bit further and she says that it also is appropriate to feel fury. And she's using a term that's often synonymous with anger, but it talks about an intensified kind of anger, fury at racist actions that are not changing. So we've got two different things here, legitimate response to racist attitudes and fury at actions. Why? Because actions are something that are more tangible, that change the world perhaps more than racist attitudes. And she tells us that oftentimes expressions of rage are dismissed as being, as she puts it, the two most common accusations are that the anger or the rage is useless and disruptive. Now, why would people say that? Because they can't handle, they can't deal with, they can't use the expression of people who are legitimately angered by racism just being expressed. Maybe they feel fear and guilt as a result, right? That's uh, very often what, what happens, or they feel anger themselves, or it triggers something else within them. And she also says that women have to learn how to deal with other women's anger constructively. And she, she says here, most women have not developed tools for facing anger constructively. Consciousness raising groups in the past, largely white, dealt with how to express anger, usually at the world of men. So feminists, you know, she has in mind are targeting and calling out sexism, but they're not learning how to deal with the anger that arises, not you know, from somebody else oppressing them as a group, but within their own group over different lines like racism or poverty or other associated things. We might think of disability as an example as well. And so she goes on and she says, these groups were made up of white women who shared the terms of their oppressions. There was usually little attempt to articulate the genuine differences between women. What would these genuine differences between women include? Race, color, age, class, sexual identity. There was no apparent need at that time to examine the contradictions of self. Women as oppressor. There was work on expressing anger, but very little on anger directed against each other. No tools were developed to deal with other women's anger except to avoid it deflect it, flee from it under a blanket of guilt. And so, you know, these accusations of useless and disruptive come about within that situation. And Lord is saying that anger needs to actually be expressed. It doesn't mean that everybody has to start blowing everything up or tearing everything down or raging against every single thing. It actually has to be focused, as she says, with precision, but it should be out there within a space that is created for it because it is legitimate. 
Another thing she talks about is that very often people who are in sort of marginalized or exploited positions are expected to do more. She says oppressed peoples are always being asked to stretch a little more, to bridge the gap between blindness and humanity. Black women are expected to use our anger only in the service of other people's salvation or learning, not for themselves. They're not being treated as full agents as equal to other people when it comes to anger. And she says, that time is over. My anger has meant pain to me, but it's also meant survival. And here we get to perhaps one of the other really high points of what she's saying. And Lord could be misunderstood as being sort of an apologist for anger at any time, at any place. And it's very clear that that's not the case. She also doesn't see anger as something that is inherent inherently good by itself because one of the things that she's saying close to the ending of this is before I give it up, my anger, I'm going to be sure that there's something at least as powerful to replace it on the road to clarity. So she's holding out the possibility that you know, anger, despite having its uses, maybe it needs to be replaced by something else, but there needs to be something else truly worked out and available before people should be expected to abandon their legitimate anger over things like racism or other types of oppression, injustice, and discrimination that we find in, you know, individual relationships, in the workplace, in, you know, medical care, in universities and uh, organizations, in government, in all sorts of other aspects of our culture and society. So Lord's key point here that we've been developing is that anger is in fact a legitimate response to the injustices that are involved in racism or other forms of discrimination. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.